what I want to do is just to introduce this matter and then ask if you will really take the Word of God and help us to um, find together the facts um, that I put up there are unshakable. We'll just look at those scriptures first of all, <coughs> the unshakable facts I've called it. Right, now let's just look at those first scriptures. 1 Peter chapter 1, <coughs> 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 23 and 25. 23 and 25. Having been begotten again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, through the word of God, which liveth and abideth. Verse 25. But the word of the Lord abideth forever. This doesn't just mean, of course, the outward frame of the word only, you know, so many words, so many statements, uh, it means what the word of God is expressing. Those great, eternal, unshakable facts that the word of God gives expression to. That's the thing that is absolutely unshakable, that liveth and abideth forever, because the word is the word of God. It is God himself, it is the living God expressing himself in human words. And of course, above all, in our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Word of God. So that is our um, firm foundation. Then if you turn to John 17, and verse 17, John 17, verse 17, sanctify them, in the truth. Thy word is truth. Sanctify them. Set them apart. Put a wall between them and the devil. Put a wall between them and the world. Put a wall between them and their self-life. The old man, the old nature, the old life. Put a wall between them which sets them apart unto God, unto the life of God, to the purpose of God, to the way of God, the object of God, if you like. Sanctify them. How can you and I be sanctified, having been saved? How can the Holy Spirit, who is the spirit of sanctification, really work this out in our lives? He does it through the truth. Sanctify them in, truth, in the truth. You never get anything apart from the Word of God. The Holy Spirit brings the Word of God into our very beings. He reveals it to us. He makes God known to us through the Word. Thy Word is truth. And of course, as we've often said in this company, the word truth, do not just think, it, think of it as doctrine only, but as reality. Sanctify them in reality. Not just up in theories, but in reality. Thy word is reality. Now, I doubt very much whether all of us realize that in our experience practically. I know for myself, for years and years and even now, I find that I believe much more in the reality of feelings and the evidence of all the things that can be 
uh, felt and handled around, isn't it easier? Someone comes moaning at you, and before you know where you are, you're down in the dumps, and you just believe what they've said. You just cannot believe anymore. In the, you hear someone has said this, or something's happened to this one or that one, and down you go. Under it all, the, 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 the reality seems to be the breakdown, not the Lord. The reality seems to be the power of the devil, not the power of God. The reality seems to be the authority of darkness, not the kingdom of his Son. Thy word is reality. Actually, it is the word of God which is the one reality. And that takes us a lifetime to come to see that the Word of God is not theory, nor ideal, nor just something that is some lovely sort of fairy tale utopia, but that the Word of God is the expression of reality, eternal reality. And everything else is a dream, in one sense. I remember years ago a Scientologist speaking to me and telling me that everyone exists in your mind. Everything, they said, they, t they told me, everything exists in the mind, you know. They said, this table only exists in your mind. This room exists in your mind. Uh, you only exist in my mind. I thanked him very much um, <laughs> for it. And then um, I thought to myself afterwards, he's got the wrong end of the stick. As for most of these weird heresies or um, queer things of God. What really is true is this, that if we're going to speak about anything existing in anyone's mind, everything exists in God's mind. He is the reality, not I am the reality, and everything else, even God, exists in my mind. But He is the reality. You and I are thoughts of God in that sense. And you can almost hear undertones of Norman Grubb in that. Um, you and I are just thoughts of God. Uh, and uh, this table is the life of God, really, expressed in a concrete form. The room is, of course, you've got to be very careful. We'd be accused of what's called pantheism. But, um, well, let that go just for a moment. Thy word is truth. In other words, the reality, the eternal reality, is what we've got in this book, is the Lord Jesus Christ, is the living God himself. That's reality. The rest is a dream, a bad dream, a nightmare, maybe. But it is actually transient, passing, and God, blessed be his name, has put an end. He's got in his mind an end set for the whole thing. Just as it began, so God has got uh, an end. Uh, the whole of time is sort of a parenthesis. It's in brackets. Well, we've got the first bracket. We haven't yet got the second. But in God's mind, it's there. We're not there yet. I haven't seen him put that bracket, so now it's all over. The first thing's the former things have passed away. That's how God puts it. The former things have passed away. And the eternal reality has come. Thy word is true. But it's not so easy to believe in uh, this uh, uh, statement, thy word is reality. It was the crisis, believe it or believe it not, that Abraham faced when God said, when it said that the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham and said, get thee out of Ur of the Chaldees, out of thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. It was the crisis. What a stupid thing to do. Can you believe that? Why, that's a dream. You dreamt it in the night, Abraham. You probably had cheese for supper. 
You sort of just dreamt that in the night. You sort of had some queer little sort of liverish upset that sort of gave you this idea that God told you to get out. I mean, God doesn't do that kind of thing. Out of the wonderful place like out of the Chaldees with all its security and refinement and civilization, just to walk out into the desert. But of course, you see, the word says, but he sought the city that hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He believed in that reality. For him, that was the reality. And the Bible says, in the whole of his life, he never possessed an inch of that land. He even bought the burial place of his wife and himself. So his whole life was spent in what people could have said, dear old Abraham, he lives in dreams, you know. He's a daydreamer. He says that God told him to get out of Ur of the Chaldees. He'd be wandering up and down this land. I was a Philistine or one of those things. I would be saying, he wanders up and down this land. He thinks it's his, you know. <laughs> Silly, isn't it, really? I mean, we've got fortified cities everywhere, and we're strong people and all the rest of it. But up he goes, round he goes, and he, he, he doesn't sort of boast about it, but he says it's all his. Another strange thing, of course, is he says that um, his seed will be like the sands of the seashore for number. Terribly funny, because he hasn't got a child. Well, that's the kind of thing. Thy word is reality. Now, of course, we've got hindsight, the wisdom of hindsight. We look back, of course, we can see straight away that, uh, um, that uh, Abraham uh, was right to do what he, what he did. And we all tend to feel Abraham knew these things. But he did. 2 Peter, chapter 1. Six, verse 16 and 19. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Verse 19. And we have the word of prophecy made more sure Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a lamp shining in a dark place until the day star arise in your hearts. And the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. In other words, we've been caught by reality. We, we are not following fairy tales, fables, legends, myths, religious theories and ideals. We've been eyewitnesses, because they were actual eyewitnesses, but we can say we're eyewitnesses by the, by the eye of faith. And we're following something that's going to be found to honour gl and glory and praise at the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Is that not so? And uh, the fact is that we're waiting for the reality to come finally and fully to pass. We're, we've got the earnest of it. We've got the gap, we've got the deposit. Deposit's been put on us. But there's coming a day when, thank God, the day star will arise. That is the coming of the Lord. And the new day will come. God's day. The day of the Lord. That's reality. Well, it's not so easy now in these days of what the Bible calls the night. To, uh, when we're surrounded by children of the night, sons of darkness. To really realize that we are in the reality. Sometimes this other world with all its temptations and everything that we find, the enemy within us seems much more real and factual. 
Well, there we are. Now, there are four other scriptures I'd just like you to look at. John 14, verse 6. Because you, are, I'm sure, all know that very well. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And I just want you to underline that word. Jesus said, I am the truth. I am the reality. I am the truth. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now, chapter 16, verse 13. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth is come, he shall guide you into all the truth. Where is all the truth? All the truth is the Lord Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? All the truth is the Lord Jesus. And the spirit of truth will lead us into all the truth. Now turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 21. If so be that ye heard him, that is Christ, and were taught in him, even as truth is in Jesus. Truth is in Jesus. All truth is in him. Never forget that. You can test everything by the Lord Jesus. What is the place this gives to the Lord Jesus? In these days when there are so many strange fringe things, this is we, can, we can tell what is right and what is wrong. What place does it give to the Lord Jesus Christ? For the spirit of truth leads us into all the truth. The truth as it is in Jesus. And then, 1 John 5. 1 John 5. Perhaps a verse not so well known, but surely amongst the most thrilling in the word of God. It's so dogmatic. <coughs> Breathe the confidence of faith. And we'll read verse 19, because this puts the other side of the coin. We know that we are of God and the whole world lieth in the evil one. And we know that the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding that we know him that is true and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal. Well, that's the, um, the first bit of the introduction. Unshakable facts. What are the unshakable facts? The unshakable fact is the Lord Jesus Christ himself and the very revelation of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the Father who is revealed in the Son and it is the Holy Spirit who brings us to see the Father in the Son. And when that happens, we not only see what God has revealed in the Son and provided in the Son, but by the Holy Spirit we begin to come into an experience of the Father in the Son. And that's what the Lord Jesus meant when he said, My Father and I will come and will make our abode with him. That's wonderful. Well now, let's go on to the next thing. What is the relation of the facts to faith? Because this is really the uh, key to the whole matter. What is the relation of the facts to faith? 
There can be no faith without facts. Now, at the first hearing, I'm sure that the, the first reaction is, that, 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 that's not true. It is absolutely true. I'll die on it. Because the word of God says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. The fact gives rise to the faith. What is the fact? Whatever you heard. The word of Christ to you. I don't know what it was that, that by which you came to the Lord as a sinner and got saved. But something dawned on you, perhaps through conversation, perhaps through testimony. But it was a fact that dawned on you. Suddenly you realized that Jesus Christ was alive. For instance, can anyone come if they believe he's not there? Well, the word of God says no. You must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder for them that diligently seek him. So even when we say, I'm not sure, I'm not, I mean, I was saved as a, as a contradiction to this, of course, and I didn't even believe he was there. When I got my knees, I said, oh God, if, you're, if there is a God, that's exactly how I got saved. But you see, the fact that I said, oh God, if there is a God, the fact that I said, oh God, and then said, if there is a God, meant that I believed there was a God there, but I had me doubts. <laughs> <laughs> and God said, that's honesty. That's absolute honesty. I save you. And I think there are other people who say, I believe, I believe, and they never get saved because they're not really believing. Underneath it all is complete unbelief. They think that by, by a, a, a theory, by expressing some kind of formula, they'll get saved. Fact gives rise to faith. There can be no faith without the facts. Yes. We can drum that into everyone's head this evening. It'll be just tremendous. Abraham went out because the God of glory appeared to him. There was the fact. The faith was, by faith, he went out, not knowing whither he went. But the fact was, the God of glory appeared to him and spoke to him. That was the fact. It was the word of God. If you like it, it was the word of Messiah, of the Messiah. Get out. Word of Christ. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Or I can think of another scripture straight away, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. The author, finisher, there's the fact. Get back to truth again. The fact is there. We look to him, that's the fact. Immediately faith comes. Look to a lie and faith shrivels. So any of us who are in unbelief, it's because we're looking at something else and believing it. Our own feeling, someone else's, this or that. We look at that and we just feel, oh... Faith shrivels. Well, there we are. No faith without facts. Now, let me just amplify that by saying this. It is not a question of first believing, as we are told blindly. What we mean is feeling. Then we are introduced to the facts. Now, the reason why many have got this is because we say rightly to those to whom we're preaching the gospel, who are unsaved, we say, you don't see and come. You come and see. If you believe, you shall see the glory of God. First, you believe. But how can they believe unless the fact dawns on them? For the first time, a person who's a pagan, suddenly, Jesus Christ is a person. These people are talking about, as he's alive from the dead, he's risen. Now, the facts have started to dawn on them. And for the first time, they begin to wonder, can he do something for me? 
Now, you see what's happened? By saying, can he do something for me? Could he save me? Could I have this experience? What they're saying is, the fact. I, I, I'm becoming aware that there's something else I never knew. I'm becoming aware of the truth of something. Jesus Christ is alive from the dead. He's able to say it to the uttermost, those that come unto God by him. Well, that's how we, we of course, uh, we, when we speak to unsaved people, we emphasize the fact that they must believe. But really, the, it is the fact that dawns upon them, however dim, dimly, that is the creating of faith with them. That's how the Holy Spirit gives the gift of faith. By grace have you been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God. So all faith is the gift, is a gift. So don't sort of sink there in your seat and say, well, it can't be for me because I'm just not the believing kind. You know, I wish I'd been born in a different way. I wish I was one of those people who can believe things. Rubbish. Absolute nonsense. You've just got your eyes on yourself, that's all. That's your problem, making an excuse of it. As simple as that. Faith is the gift of God. God's word says so. It, it's not easier for some. Actually, the credulous are an awful trial to the Lord because they're so gullible they get themselves mixed up in the most extraordinary things because they're so credulous, you see. Believe anything and in it all goes. And as what of God goes in, the devil sort of says, let's push this in as well. <laughs> and God has a great problem with it. So don't think the credulity is easier. Not at all. Thank God if you've got a mind. But if your mind rules you, poor you, poor, poor you, if that old mind, instead of the mind of Christ, the renewed mind, is ruling you and whispering into your ear, of course you're the thinking kind. It's all pride, really. You're the, you're the thinking kind, you know, the rational type. Tests everything out. Shame, really, isn't it? You'd be much farther on spiritually if you didn't do this. You wouldn't. You are, are stuck because you're allowing the devil to make you believe that faith is something natural. When in actual fact it is the gift of God to all, whether credulous or rational in outlook. So let's get that quite clear. So it's not a question that um, first you sort of work up a kind of belief. You know, now then, now then, if I can work up enough faith, I'll get through tonight. If I can work up enough faith, I'll probably be filled with the Holy Spirit. You won't. Because that's just not the way it happens. That's the point. That's why people almost crucified themselves, put themselves on a, on a rack, tortured themselves over this matter. But that's not the way. Do you know how it comes when you see a fact? And when you see the fact, it dawns on you. Ah, how could it be so simple? How could it possibly be so simple? Why, you see, we've all, we've all done this over salvation. Once we're saved, we all say, oh, but why didn't I come before? It's so simple. He's done it all. He gives it to me and I enter in. It's so simple. Why didn't I come before? And yet, here we are, and when it comes to anything further of the Lord, we're sort of saying, oh, I must work myself up, turn over a new leaf, reform myself a little more. I'll do this and I'll do that. 
Maybe God will look at me and say, so-and-so's trying awfully hard. Then everything comes by works. And that's why the apostles said, did you receive the Holy Spirit by the, by, by, uh, the works of the law or by faith? Well, I said again, may I um, say something else? The facts, amplifying this a little further, the facts are the anchor ground of faith. Now that's really what the apostle is trying to say in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 18 to 20. Here we are, listen to this. It's rather put in rather sort of mouth, tongue sort of... Um, something words, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we may have a strong encouragement to have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us, which we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and entering into that which is within the veil, whither as a forerunner Jesus entered for us. Our anchor is within the veil. And it's in Christ, in what he's done, and what he is. In other words, again, the facts are the anchor ground of our faith. I have strong encouragement because I see that the Lord Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of God the Father, within the veil. And he's bringing many sons to glory. He's going to get us there by his grace. So, let me ma make another statement. We must therefore see the facts before we can exercise faith. <laughs> the facts have got to dawn on us. Now, I don't mean all the facts. You'd go, otherwise, it, it means you've got to understand the whole Bible in one fell swoop. But what I do mean is this, that whatever your need is, you've got to see the fact which is related to your need whatever that need is. When you see that fact, God uh, brings something to bear on you and you see it, then you have faith. Well, last week we talked about loosing the slave collar. You can't do it. People just say, wasn't that wonderful? But they've still got the old slave collar on. Walk off with it, well and truly locked around the neck. It shouldn't be there, but it's there. Because the word says, loose thyself from the bands of your neck. But we can't do that because we, we have not seen that he led captivity captive. And that if we're in Christ, there cannot be any bondage. Now when we see the fact, faith comes into operation in us. If there's no, if there's no known sin. Faith comes into operation and immediately we hear, Oh Lord, how come I'm bound? <laughs> now we say, Lord, I've got this thing around my neck. I just sometimes feel as if I'm being dragged on the ground like a ball and chain. I should be lifting up my head. In actual fact, I'm down like this. Like some old chicken pecking the earth. All day long. Never look up. Why? 
Because I believe, of course, if I said to you, do you believe that Christ is able to free? Of course Christ is able to free. But you haven't seen the fact that when he, now here is the, the primary fact we call it, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. Not he will ascend on high on July the 10th, 1970 and will lead captivity captive. But when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. He did it 2,000 years ago. And therefore, in him, there is freedom from this thing. When that's seen, you lose it. God's loosed it, you've loosed it. God says, be free, and you said, I am free. Thank you. And you go out free, and you really are free. Well, now, let's just look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. For really, having said that, this is the verse upon which all that I've said is really based. Now, Brother Shaw can tell you, anyone else who knows something about the text can tell you that this is one of these most supremely difficult verses in the New Testament. To be able adequately to really put this into words. Now, I'm going to put all these versions here. I'm going to read to you the different ones. For those of you who've got the authorized version, chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, you're beginning to get light on it? Already, even from the old authorised version? You can get a lot of light from the authorised version. Substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. Where is the evidence of things not seen? Faith. The fact is not seen. The fact is invisible, but it's absolutely true. It's real. Therefore, the evidence of it, faith. When faith as the gift of God is in a person, you know that's the evidence of an eternal fact. That person's seen something. They're unshakable. Well, now, uh, revised version. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The proving of things not seen. <laughs> the proving of things not seen. Assurance. That is, uh, what you've hoped for, you've got the assurance you're going to get it. How has a person got that kind of thing? You've spoken with Abraham and he said, oh yes, this land is mine. Oh, definitely, definitely. Where has he got this assurance? Well, is he a crackpot? A lunatic? Where has he got this from? He doesn't own a bit of this except his burial place, the cave of Machpelah. Where has he got it from? It's the assurance of things hoped for. Are you going to him? Yes, one day my seed is going to inherit this land. It's going to be innumerable. They'll be all over the earth. Now, don't be stupid, Abraham. You haven't even got one son and you're 1998. Where is this assurance? Where does it come from? It's the gift of God. No one can really believe God unless it's given by, by them. Now, Revised Standard Version. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. You're convicted about it, or convinced, if you like. 
I'm not sure that's so good. Then listen to this, the New English Bible. And what is faith? Faith gives substance to our hopes. I think that's a little poor. And makes us certain of realities we do not see. That's a little better. Listen to Rotherham, that godly old man. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Faith is of things hoped for, a confidence. A conviction of facts when they are not seen. A conviction of facts when they are not seen. That's good. Now here's the Amplified. Now faith is the assurance, the confirmation, the title deed of things hoped for. That's beautiful, isn't it? Being the proof of things we do not see, proof of things we do not see, and the conviction of their reality. Faith perceiving as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. Now that amplification is excellent. Let me read that again. Faith perceiving as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. That's why this idea that faith is something you feel, that you work up, is so wrong. It's nothing to do with the senses. It's a cold-blooded thing. You've seen that the that which is not seen is the real. And you believe. Now, J.N. Darby put it like this. And I suppose you've often heard this quoted here and in other circles too. Here it is. Now, faith is the substantiating of things hoped for. That, I think, is beautiful. Faith is the substantiating of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, let's just have a look at a few more scriptures, see if they will help us um, to understand that. Hebrews 11:27. By faith, Moses forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. He endured as seeing him who is invisible. Where was the fact? The fact was invisible. He, that was invisible. He endured as seeing him who is invisible. The fact gave rise to faith. And the faith endured. It was patience that inherited the promise. Now look at 2 Corinthians 4. You see, you, but once you begin to see this, a whole lot of scriptures start to open up and, and you understand them. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 and 18. For our light affliction, which is for the moment, worketh for us more and more exceedingly an eternal weight of glory, while, this is very often not quoted, while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, te time-bound, transient. 
but the things which are not seen are eternal. So it's only as we look at the things which are not seen, the things which are eternal, that this whole work goes on of our light affliction, working for us an eternal and exceeding weight of glory. Otherwise we faint. Well, can you imagine anyone really looking upon the problems of the Christian life as light affliction? Not by the moaning I hear. Certainly not. Oh, my, I've said it for myself. Oh, it's just terrific. I mean, it's crushing. It's too much. Why, we even have a question. Why does the Lord allow this? Has he forgotten to be faithful to me? Why does he do this to me, allow this and that and the other? Why should I have these problems? Look at so-and-so. Sailing along in full sail. A wonderful breeze blowing them along. And here am I. You know the kind of thing. Well, uh, that's because we are looking at the things which are seen. Instead of the things which are not seen. Um, Hebrews 12, verse 2. Well, you all know that. Hebrews 12, verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. There it is again. And then I want you to look at Romans and chapter 4. Verse 17. As it is written, the father of many nations have I made thee, before him whom he believed, even God, who giveth life to the dead and calleth the things that are not as though they were. Now think of that. Who giveth life to the dead? Is that a fact or not? Is that a fact or not? Or do we really believe that death is the thing that rules everything? Or is the eternal fact not death? The last enemy that shall be abolished is death. It's a ghastly nightmare. To be abolished. Him that giveth life to the dead. Is that the fact? Then listen to this. And calleth the things that are not as though they are. Is that a fact? Or do we believe in the big things, the powerful things, the things that are popular, the things that are entrenched, the things that, even Christian things, that seem to have got everything behind them. That's it, that's it. Oh, it was terrific. I'm sure there's something in us that would like to be in that and with that. Or is it the thing, the God who calls things which are not as though they were? Huh. Takes an Abraham, pushes him out into the desert, sends him up and down in the land that God says he will give him. And in the end, he who was not became a mighty, innumerable people, the father of us all. Well, uh, I only sort of say these things. Let's read on just a few uh, more verses. Who in hope believed against hope to the end that he might become a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken, so shall thy seed be. And without being weakened in faith, he considered his own body now as good as dead. This is a thing that some people, you see, think that you can't do if you're a Christian. You mustn't. You mustn't consider the, your real temperament. You mustn't consider who you are, your own constitution. You mustn't. You must look at all the lovely things, 
the sort of encouraging sort of things that uh, will lift you up. Not so, that's not faith. You can be as rational as you want to be. Have a good old microscopic study of your body and find out that it's as dead and as barren as it can possibly be. It'll do you a lot of good. Providing that you hope against hope and believe that in spite of what you are, God is going to do this work in you. He's going to conform you to the image of his son. Some Christians are frightened to look at themselves and therefore God can't start their education. Because they're so afraid that if they really look at themselves and see themselves for what they really are, it would be the finish. But it wouldn't. It would be the start. You could take a good look at yourself as good as dead. And then have a good look at Sarah. It says, his own body now is good as dead, he being about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. I think that's rather lovely that he actually... um, He looked at the deadness of Sarah's womb. I think that's very beautifully put. He did esteem her better than himself. He looked at his own body as good as dead, but he only looked on her womb as dead. I think that's rather lovely. Whereas most of us look upon everyone else as dead and ourselves as only having a bit of us that's dead. Therein lies the whole problem. God won't answer that kind of spirit, will he? And then it says... Yet looking unto the promise of God, he wavered not through unbelief, but waxed strong through faith, giving glory to God. So he looked at his own body as good as dead. He looked at dear old Sarah's womb, the deadness of it. And then he grew strong through faith, giving glory to God. That is facts and faith. And that's the kind of realistic faith we've got to look to God to give us. Well, um... The last thing in this I would like to say is 1 John 5, verse 4 and 5. We've sung it together earlier in that hymn. 1 John 5, 4 and 5. For whatsoever is begotten of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that hath overcome the world, even our faith. And who is he that overcometh the world but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Verse 9. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For the witness of God is this, that he hath borne witness concerning his Son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in him. He's got it in him. Faith is the victory. See? What is begotten of God overcometh the world. This is the victory that hath overcome the world, even our faith. Now don't just think, Ah, my faith, I must screw it up. No, take note of how that phrase is explained and interpreted in the next verse. And who is he that overcometh the world but but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? There's the fact. He believes that Jesus is the Son of God, God the Son. God manifest in the flesh. And immediately faith is kindled in him. And he says, I can't be bound. I can't just be empty. I ought to be filled. I can't just be unequipped. I ought to be equipped. I can't be weak. I should be empowered. Now then, what are the facts? Now, can you please start to help me? What are the facts? There are two kinds of facts that come out of all that we've said. 
primary facts and secondary facts. What we mean by that is this. Primary facts are those that are foundational, fundamental, the source. The other facts are secondary, not in, in necessarily in importance, but in the sense that they're derived. They come out of the first lot. In other words, without these, you wouldn't have those. All right? Now then, can anyone help us? Give us some scriptures, all of you. Help us now. Everyone take your Bible. Open it. Don't sleep. Primary facts. Can someone give us one scripture for the death of Christ that states clearly the death of Christ as a fact? You think of one? Anyone? The death of Christ. Yes, Gail? 1 Peter 3.18. Could you read it? Yes. Wonderful. Can anyone give us a little word of amplification? Yes? Well, yes, you can. Romans 5, 8. Yes. God commendeth his love towards us in the while we were yet sinners. I think we ought to add there, it is finished, don't you? So that we've really got it quite clear what, God, what the Lord Jesus did. Can anyone give me the verse for it is finished? Thank you. John 19, 30. Right. We've got the first great primary fact. Of course, I could have brought in other facts. I could have brought his coming and his life. Could that fact? But I started here for the sake of time. The death of Christ. Wonderful, isn't that? God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It is finished. What's finished? The work of our salvation. Full salvation. Everything necessary for us to enjoy God, to come into the life of God, to really experience the power of God, everything's been given to us in our full salvation. Right, resurrection of Christ. Anyone give me a scripture for the resurrection of Christ? Matthew 28, 6. What's that, Gus? He's not here, he is risen. Thank you. Well, that's good. He's no longer in the grave. 28, 6. 6. Marvelous. Can anyone else give me another? Scripture? Acts 2, 32. What's that? This Jesus, God raised up. And of that, we are all witnesses. 2, 32. Praise the Lord. Now we go on to the third thing. When the resurrection of Christ, of course, that was the death knell of Satan. It was one thing for the Lord Jesus to finish the work on the cross, but he caused disruption in hell. Do you know that Peter tells us he went into hell and preached the gospel to those that were bound in hell? caused disruption there. And then he was raised from the dead on the third day. Death could not hold him. Wonderful. Therefore, um, if we've been saved through his death, how much more through his life? Now, the ascension of Christ. Come on, someone. Acts 1, 9 and 11. Acts 1, 9 and 11. Acts 1, 9 and 11. Could you just read it? Thank you. Yes. Now, I think we ought to, we want to put another verse there. Can anyone put the verse that I'm thinking? Yeah? Uh, what is, let's hear it. Yeah? 
Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a saviour. Yes, fine, but I want another verse. I haven't got too much room there. Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4.8. Go on, now you let me have that. Yes. Well, I like the older version. He led captivity captives. But uh, um, there it is. The ascension of Christ. We make very little of the ascension of Christ. And it's, it's our loss. The ascension of Christ is one of the great primary facts. One of the great unshakable eternal facts. He's gone up on high. Oh, I could think of so many scriptures we could put there. Far above all principality and power and every name that is named, not only in this world and that which is to come. One after another after another scripture comes to me that speaks of his infirmity. Um, he, he um, what is it? He's made to sit until his enemies are made the footstool of his feet. It's all to do with his ascension. Now can someone help us here? The obtaining and giving of the promise of the Father. Now, yes, could you read it? Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father, the promise of the Holy Spirit is poured out this which you see and hear. That's right. And then that's the that, that, that sit down my right hand. Sit down my right hand. Yes. Or also, Father, on the verse 38, I think it is, isn't it? And the promise is to you and to your children. Is that 38? 39. 39. Let's put that down because that's important. The promise is to you and to your children and it's as many and to those of the Father and as many as the Lord our God shall call. Includes every one of us in this room. Now some people would say that these two are not primary facts. They would say they're secondary facts. Because they would say these are really the great primary facts. And that the obtaining and giving of the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit, was a secondary fact in the sense that the Lord Jesus, because he was ascended, took and gave. But I have put it as a primary fact, for so much comes out of it. Now, I've put as a, um, a fifth great primary fact, the building of the church. Again, that's another secondary fact in one sense. But, can anyone give me a scripture? Yes, Matthew. Yes. On this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell or Hades shall not prevail against it. Ephesians 4. Yes, that's the one I want. Would you just read it if you've got the right yes, verse? Yes, Ephesians 4, 11. <clears throat> oh, start with 11. He gave some to be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Yes. The perfecting of the saints unto the work of ministering yes. unto the building up of the body of Christ till we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a full-grown man, yes. unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Yes. We could go right on to verse 16, actually. Yes. Hmm? <coughs> yes, um, which is... Um, <clears throat> no longer strange to the disciples, so I'm built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Yes. So 19 to 22. Well, now, there we have our great primary fact. Now, are these facts or not? They are. But you see, if we really believed them, our whole life, not only individually, but corporately, would be changed. Absolutely radically changed. The fact is that we don't really believe these facts, or they haven't dawned on us in all their fullness. Or perhaps sin has, given, has, has sort of partially blinded us. So they no longer mean what they should to us. 
For within all this, everything required by any child of God, of God or any company of believers or any work of the Lord during time has been provided. Through these five great primary facts, everything, everything, what do you need? I mean, you just tell me. I'll tell you whether it's been provided for in here. Whatever you need. Of course, salvation, someone says, well, we need to be saved. Well, it's here. Someone says, well, I need to be, to, to, uh, to, to know what it is to be sanctified. It's here. Someone says, I need to know what it is to be filled with the Spirit. It's here. Someone says, I need to know what it is to be built together with the saints. It's here. Someone says, well, I feel that God is calling me, um, but I'm not sure. It's here. Someone says, I need power. It's here. Those are the primary facts. Do we believe them? <laughs> the question is, why haven't we entered in? It's so strange, you see. Why don't we enter in? Whatever is the need. Now, could you help me now with secondary facts? Let's start to put down some of the secondary facts. Now, what do we mean by secondary facts? Well, I've been talking about some of them. What are some of the great things that are personal or corporate that you can think of in Scripture that come out of this? Assurance, yes. Before we put that, let's yes. Well, yes, in a way it is. I'm thinking, of course, of facts that are there. I think we should put the uh, coming of the Lord in many ways. Yes, death of the old man. Yes, death of the old man. Um, I, I, I think perhaps we should put... Many would love that. Yes. Full salvation. That's the first thing, all right? Now, in that full salvation, can anyone think of any scripture that, that speaks of a full? That is forgiveness, assurance, uh, life. Romans 6, 4. Yes. We were baptized, therefore, with him by baptism into death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God, yes. we too might walk in union of life. Yes. That's Eileen's thing, the death of the old man. Mm. Galatians 2.20. Anything else? Romans 9.10. Romans 9.10. If you confess with the mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that yes. Jesus is from the dead, you shall be saved. Yes. Oh, I've got to put it in black. Never mind. Um, Romans 9.10. What about if... Yes? Oh, sorry, sorry. Ten verse nine. Sorry. I believe I said ten. Ten nine. Sorry. Um, now, can someone think of that scripture? If we neglect our so great Hebrews. salvation. Hebrews two, verse three. Right. Can anyone give me another scripture like this that suggests that the Lord can do anything in our life in making this salvation a reality? Yes. Hebrews 7, 25. 25. Also is able to save to the utmost. Yes. Able to save to the uttermost. All right. What's that? 1 John 5. 
Yes. Ah. One John five twelve. Anything else now that we can put down as things? We could we could make a terrific list of things now. Here we start. What's next? Anyone can think of something? Yes, we could put forgiveness. Assurance was given to us earlier. Death of the old man. We could put it under. Yes, I'm just now trying to bring under certain titles a whole sort of, um, um, you know, area, if you like, sphere of the Christian life or corporate experience. Full salvation is tremendous. I have no doubt that there are many needs in this room that are summed up by the word full salvation. Perhaps there's a lack of joy or peace or, or, or um, life or some blockage somewhere. Um, and these are things we know in our lives and we don't seem to be able to get through on them. Um, and in a way, it comes under this term, full salvation. Now, the trouble with most of us is we're all dealing with the secondary fact instead of the primary. So we're all saying, ah, oh, I've got a full salvation. It ought to work out. And then we get this kind of champing at the bit where people say, it doesn't work. It's no good saying it does. It doesn't work. You see? Because they're looking at this instead of the primary fact. Yes? Well... I would put under here another a big uh, term, I think, and this is how I'll put it, as freedom. By that, of course, we do not mean freedom for the flesh. We don't even mean freedom for your personality as such. We mean freedom for the Lord in you. Oh, that's wonderful. Freedom for the Lord in you. Actually, freedom means discipline. Did you know that? Freedom means discipline. The impunctual start to be punctual. The slovenly start to become careful in their appearance. Yes. The irresponsible become responsible. See? The undisciplined become disciplined. That's real freedom, because for the first time you're free to be on time. Do you ever know that? Some people are bound on the question of impunctuality. They wait till it's half past, and then they start. They can't help it. They're bound. On Sunday morning, you can be... I was going to say, bet your bottom drawer, <laughs> that certain number of people will be here late. Often the people nearest. They can't help it. They're bound. They're not free. Well, now, some people say, oh, no, freedom means that you drift in. It's all lovely. You don't get any black looks. and You don't feel any condemnation because you're free. Nonsense. God's never been impunctual. The Lord Jesus came on time. The worlds were created on time. Coming again of the Lord Jesus is going to be on time. Freedom. So uh, really what it means is you're free for the first time to, uh, to uh, be punctual. And then again it comes in other ways. You see some people are bound by slovenliness. They can't help it. They're just bound that way. Let the Holy Spirit start working in them. And they start to find the voice inside saying, you just see about so and so and so and so. And so it's discipline. But it's not slavery. It's, it's joy. 
Because when you do it, you have a release. And immediately something in you says, I feel so much happier. And you feel you could praise the Lord. It's a little tiny thing. But you don't do it, and death comes down, and then you blame everyone. Of all the meetings are so heavy. They're so dull. They're so heavy. Everyone's heavy there. The trouble is that you're not free. And so, oh, human psychology, the depths of a man or a woman, no one can fathom it but the Spirit of God. Freedom. Now, can anyone give me a scripture for that? Galatians 5, 1, thank you. Galatians 5, verse 1. Yes, yeah, stand fast in the freedom wherewith Christ has made you, and be ye not. To the yoke of bondage, do not submit again to the yoke of bondage. Free to open our mouths in a prayer meeting. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Some people say, bam. Yes, what is that? John 8, 36. John 8, 32, we'll put, and 36. The truth shall make you free. Have you ever known that, the truth? Truth making you free. You see the truth in Jesus and it makes you free. And you see the truth about yourself and it makes you free. Did you know that? You wake up, oh, that's my temperament. Whew. You feel a load's gone off you. It's been spiritualized or something. The enemies come with accusation, condemnation. So nothing to do. You suddenly see. Now you've got to be disciplined in that. The Holy Spirit's got to get control of that. But you're free. Wonderful, isn't it? Right? Yeah? 2 Corinthians 3.17. Now, do you see now straight away what we're beginning to find? We begin to find in our whole realm of things in here. We could go right to the whole scripture and find in this matter. Just like this, a whole realm under that title. Now, our time is gone, I'm afraid. So sorry. But um, let's go on for just a few more moments. Can anyone give me another whole realm? in which we find so many things. These things have all overlapped. Freedom is a part of our full salvation. Yes, yes, I would like to for that to come under another title, more comprehensive. Hmm? Fullness, yes, we can put it a number of ways. I'll put it down in the most comprehensive way we can. The promise of the Spirit. I think that's the way that sort of unites everyone in the different labels we use for the work of the Holy Spirit, fullness of the Holy Spirit, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, baptism of the Holy Spirit, all these different terms we use. The promise of the Spirit. Can anyone give me scriptures for that? 1 Corinthians 3.16. But I would like one even before that, if we could. Acts 1.8, yes, yes. Well, we've got it up there, really. Acts 2, 33 and 39. Acts 1, 8, that's good. Could someone else give us another one? Yes? Yes. Yes, 
Acts 5.32, what's that? And so the Holy Spirit whom God hath given is better than the Acts, that's right, that's a good one. Acts 5.32, to those that obey him. Now, one other thing can we have, please? Of course, you all know it. Ephesians 5.18, isn't that right? Be filled with the Spirit. Now, can someone give me one other great, oh, there are hundreds and hundreds, but can anyone give me another great one about the work of the Holy Spirit? We've got power here. We've got the receiving here. Uh, we've got uh, the, the dwelling place here with the temple. Full. full. Yes. Three. 2 Corinthians 3. 18. Is it 17 and 18? Seventeen and eighteen, right? Good. Um, seventeen and eighteen. Um, can anyone give me any other um, term that covers a huge number of things here? This again. Okay. Now this is a derivative. In other words, this secondary, this fact is derived from this: the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the ascension of Christ. The obtaining and giving of the promise. Victory. Victory, yes, that's another. That's one that covers, I think, uh, a large amount of things. Now, can anyone give me scriptures for victory? Yes, that's a good one. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. Yes. That is thanks be unto God who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Anyone else give us another? Yes, another marvelous one. Romans 8, 37. So is that the one that we are more than conquerors through him that loved us? Another scripture. 1 John 5, 4, that's the one, yes, 5, verse 4. What about that wonderful one, come on someone. Hebrews 2, 14. Now what does that say? Um, might bring to naught him that had the power of resurrecting the dead. Yes, we could well put that in there. But the one I was thinking of, what's that now, Hebrews 2, 14. Hebrews 2, 14. I was thinking of Revelation 12. Has not anyone found that? They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. Did someone find it? Ro yeah, oh, Revelation 12, 11. 11. Well, now there are many other things as you can begin to see. We could go on and we could go on. But so much is, is sort of, is really bound up with this, isn't it? When you think of it. How many of you feel that really here in full salvation there is something you have not so far uh, experienced? Put your hand up. All those of you who feel that there's something in the full salvation of Christ yet you haven't got. Put your hand right up. Yes. Now let's just pray for you all. Let's, we'll pray. Perhaps someone else can pray. And we'll pray that God, for everyone who's been humble enough to put their hand up, that God will meet them. Let's just pray together, shall we? Father, we thank Thee for the sovereignty which is Thine. And we thank Thee for these great eternal facts which we've been considering this evening. Now, Lord, Thou seest there are many of us 
who feel that we've got something more to experience of thy so great salvation. We pray for everyone who's humbled themselves in any way this evening uh, in this matter. And pray, beloved Lord, that thou art moving in a new way. Oh, do open our eyes, Lord, we pray, to see what thou hast obtained for us. And there, Lord, that these, these great facts may become, as it were, the anchor ground for, for new faith in us. Oh, Lord, we pray that thou do this. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.